This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering five conversations from episode 27, our preview of key sessions and abstracts at next week's Easel Congress 2023, plus a sixth separate conversation with Arun Sanyal and David Kleiner on the benefits of AI-assisted histopathology in anticipation of a major perspective study on the topic. The second conversation with Louise Campbell focused on the third abstract she selected, a poster from Friday morning titled, Patients with Persistently Abnormal Liver Biochemistry Are Underinvestigated and Can Be Rapidly Identified Using a Novel Case-Finding Database. It comes from the Hepatology Group in Somerset, which includes Tim Jobson of Predictive Health Intelligence, who appeared on Episode 5 earlier this year. In in this study, a simple analysis of the ALT and ALP levels in the Somerset region of the UK, where Tim practices and Louise happens to live, revealed that only 16% of women and 11% of men at risk had been properly screened. This means five of six women and eight of nine men were not screened. If half of all high-risk patients have measurable disease, this means we can increase the treated patient pool, which is also the population for clinical trials, two to three times simply with more assiduous use of this algorithm or something like it. With major drug development presentations led by the Meister Nash results, new material on diagnostics from Litmus, Nail NIT, and others, and the nomenclature presentation, the Easel Congress will be three very packed days. We will be reporting twice on Saturday, once before the Saturday session and once afterwards, and I may attempt to post some one-on-one interviews on Thursday and Friday. So, when listening to this episode, think about what you want to attend in person or virtually, and just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. When you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Anything else you'd like to talk about today? We could probably take another 10 or 15 minutes if you wanted to, if you have any other papers that you want to talk about or general impressions from having looked at the effort. Louise Campbell. I do have another paper. Let's go. Which one is that? Particularly on the back of all of the things that happened last week with the publication of the NICE guidelines for Fibroscan, but also International NASH Day. But more, this abstract is more in general for liver disease. So my next abstract was page 903, which is FRI, so Friday, and it's 118. And it's page with persistently abnormal liver biochemistry are under-investigated and can be rapidly identified using novel case-finding database. Now, this is being... Pres- this is PHI, right? Yes. This is being presented by... Um, Al-Mathana Mohammed, but it is from the team that we've had on here, Tim Jobson and um, Predictive Health. So the background aims of this, which is why it's important to us, because NICE have obviously now delivered on putting Fibroscan into primary care and outside specialist and secondary care locations, more importantly. These are the exact questions we want to be able to find. We want to be able to locate people and then scan the highest risks so we can risk stratify those patients. So the background aims of this for chronic liver disease continues to increase in prevalence but it remains underdiagnosed, which is what we're trying to address in the UK. So many patients are missing opportunities for treatment. We're missing opportunities to get them treated. Guidelines state that patients with persistently abnormal liver chemistry should be given a non-invasive liver screen to identify potentially treatable causes. So this brings us in with John Dillon's work with ILFTs in Scotland, for example. You would be able to do that. So unfortunately, in practice, these guidelines are often forgotten. So what the data that they're using, right? They talk about ALT levels and ALP levels. So, yeah. So, they're not followed and they're developed. Uh, so, they developed the novel case finding database in Somerset, where I'm sitting now. So, it's a little bit personal. So, they've got a data on 560,000 individuals. That's probably near enough the entire population of Somerset, to be fair. So, they use the system to identify patients with persistently abnormal liver chemistry and quantify the completeness of this investigation. So, these are all guideline recommended. All of these patients 
those that they detected really should be followed up if we're talking about implementing. And that suppose it brings me to any future pathways we develop. How do we ensure compliance? Because we don't get compliance currently in a lot of these cases. So using the data up until um, the end of December in 2020, so 31st of December, I'm sure they weren't working over Christmas, but uh, the case finding database was configured to identify patients between the ages of 30 and 75 with persistently abnormal liver chemistry. So last ALT was greater than 40 uh, international units per litre and abnormal for at least the preceding 90 days. Within the cohort, they further risk stratified to identify those with concerning results at ALT over 80, ALP greater than 90, ALP greater than 130. So they split it within the groups, ALT greater than 80 and ALP greater than 130 for both. The number of patients in each group with a complete basic non-invasive liver test, which was determined by viral hepatitis B and C screening, autoimmune screen, ferritin and AST was then looked at. The screen was considered complete if those tests were found within a six-month period of the abnormal liver tests. So based on the ferritin date as a commonest test. A sample of cases was were reviewed manually to confirm the accuracy of the results. So I think that was quite thorough. They also assessed the age cohorts where they're likely to be persistently abnormal liver chemistry. And if there were any differences in age, likelihood uh, having improved the basic non-invasive liver tests. So they got 8,224 men, 2,537 women were identified. So we're only a small county, Somerset. Only 11% of males and 16% of females had complete basic non-invasive liver screening. So that is really concerning because there's another 89% of men walking around in that population who are at risk and potentially another um, 84% of the women in that group. That's five out of six women and eight out of nine men. Yep. And we wonder why we're having a problem with the disease. And, and we're really talking basic here. We're talking about ALT, ALP. That's pretty basic. And we're not talking about alpha-1 antitrypsin. We're not talking about hemochromatosis screening. We're talking about just a fundamental non-invasive liver screen, a set of bloods. So there were no significant differences um, identified in the likelihood of having a non-invasive liver screen when they looked at the different age groups, which were 50 to 59 cohort in men and the women. And in the higher risk group, abnormal tests at least 90 days, the last ALT of greater than 80, last ALP of greater than 130, there were a total of 547 patients identified, of whom 442 had never had a non-invasive screen. So 81% of the high risk group had never had a screen. So there was a slight trend towards improved investigation in higher risk groups that was not statistically different and they show that in their figures. So the conclusion of that, as we are probably making out here, was that the data confirmed that patients with persistently abnormal liver chemistry are frequently not investigated. I think frequently paints a nice picture on it rather than <laughs> how severe it could well, have been. Well, you could go for virtually never, right? You could convert frequently not into virtually never. Yes. So those who just get one abnormal test have got practically no chance of ever being followed up if we are to believe this. So our novel case finding database can rapidly identify in seconds nearly 9,000 individuals who may benefit from further investigation. Furthermore, the system could be used to easily stratify. And I think it's the ease of being able to do this because when Tim and the came on to discuss it, they back read the serial results. And what they're doing is picking that trend up of these patients becoming more and more high risk over the period of time. But this abstract is really, it's a poster presentation, but it really sums up why we have a problem with late diagnosis. 
because we rely on blood tests. We all want a blood test to be able to predict whether it's Thibfor, whether it's any of the ELF, whether it's any of these. But if we cannot pick up the basics to even trigger more investigation, then using a blood test isn't necessarily going to be the right thing. We've got, as you say, four and five women. Five, five and six women, eight and nine men. Yes, falling through the net. And we're never going to get on top of late diagnosis while these people are presenting at that level. And I think that's the concern. And this highlights this for me. This is just an English population in a county that would be considered predominantly white. It's not an inner city region. It has its own problems with drug and alcohol and hard to reach populations, but it wouldn't be your complete mixed ethnicity demographic. Now, there is no data here for that demographic and the mixed sort of what were the cohorts? What was the uh, ethnicity mix in here? But knowing Somerset, it's probably not going to be that diverse. And this is where Tim did a lot of his work, right? Yes, this is where he, he currently practices. And so they, this is why the strength of this information, they've they've done this very well. I'm hearkening back, as you tee this up in the context of last week, I'm, I'm hearkening back to Will's reaction to me saying, I wish we had ASTs here. And he said, well, you're just not going to get those. But this is enough to start scraping. And you would hope that with more fiber scan centers in place... And with a nice reimbursement, you'd be able to get people from here to VCTE pretty quickly. Yeah, we've got to develop that reimbursement process. There will be a time lag. But I think if you can't get people to Fibroscan, you, you do also need the basic liver screen. Because if you're going to say that Fibroscan is going to be relevant, picking up on your conversation and what you were talking about last week, you can't put fast in if you don't have AST. Right. If we are not, if we are missing this amount of the population, we cannot recruit to trials. So pharmacological companies and trial centers do have an obligation to try and look at how can we improve what we're doing to find the right people to trials because if we could get this cohort that are being missed screened and into trials we could nail liver disease quite quickly because we're missing most of them we need more people into trials so let me think about this for a second so if you could get to 50 percent, you would have trebled your female trial population and somewhere between quadrupled and quintupled your male trial population yeah by just helping primary crazy, care right? get the right tests into the right people and as we note that's in a country that may look harder at liver disease than many others. Well, okay, Louise, I'm thoroughly sobered. (laughs) So thank you for that. (laughs) And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We hope to be back early or middle next week with a preview of the ADA convention in San Diego. We will clearly be back next weekend with a bunch of coverage at the Easel event itself. So until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>